0: We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 as we continue verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. With this service being pre-recorded, we do have those available live uh, to be able to minister to you. So our ministry team is live with you right now on the chats and the comments. Let's pause. Would you pray with me and prepare your heart uh, to meet with the Lord? Father, we thank you that you are love, that you displayed your love for us by sending your son to die for us. And what a time in our country and in our world to know your love. I pray for each person listening that in a supernatural way, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would confirm your love to them. For some, maybe touch them with your love for the first time. We would know the height and the depth and the width of your love. And also that we would have a very tangible love for those around us. That we could do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with you. So God, we invite you into this service. We pray that you would bless it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. These are very interesting and difficult times that we are living in. And as we are in First Corinthians chapter 8, It's a perfect section of scripture for us. And I think God really gives us our anthem. He gives us our marching orders. What do we need to be focused on in these times? When we see the COVID virus, when we also see all of the tension and hatred that's taking place in our country, I can't think of anything better than for us to understand and know that Jesus is love, that Jesus is love. That he demonstrated his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I hope you know and that you hear me on this is that Jesus loves you. That if there's any doubt of that in your life, that you would look afresh at the cross and know that you are loved by God. And also that we would be fully convinced that God loves the world. That how we would see people and interact with one another Believers and unbelievers is this is a person for whom Christ died. Church, this is a very important time for us in history to be in touch, in contact with the love of God, and be expressing the love of God to others. We have many opportunities to live out that expression of love. It's also an opportune time for the enemy to divide. Homes to divide the church, to divide our country. We know his playbook. We know his scheme is to steal, to kill, and destroy. He loves to divide. The church of Corinth is divided. They're divided over this issue of, should we eat meat that's offered to idols? And Paul's going to address this question and encourage them to walk in love, to encourage God's love to reign over this issue. There would be believers that would be convicted in their own heart and conscience that they cannot eat meat offered to idols. But then you would have other Christians that had the freedom in their hearts to go ahead and eat meat that had been offered to idols. What a petty issue to cause division. And if we're not careful, there's there's so many issues that are in play. When you sit down right now and you talk to two believers that love the Lord, that are committed to the word, they'll have very differing opinions. And if they're not careful, they'll be in a place of division. So God wants us to focus on his love and really be able to live that love out with one another. Join me in verse 1 of chapter 8. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Paul addresses this question. Apparently, they had written to Paul. They'd sent an email, if you would, about questions that they had. So Paul says, I'm going to address this. In this area of meat that had been offered to idols, Paul says, we have knowledge on this. We, We do understand these issues, but then he gives us an important groundwork, lays the foundation before he answers the question and says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge in and of itself, if we're not careful, does not lead to love. Knowledge will lead to pride. Knowledge will puff us up, Now, is knowledge important? Is it important to understand the word of God? Is it important to have a biblical theology, a biblical understanding of who God is? To have a biblical worldview? Absolutely. But if that knowledge that we have of God doesn't take us into a deeper relationship with God, Where we're loving him and we're loving others, we've missed the point. We can have the right theology, but then be living a life that doesn't reflect the theology that we know so well. Love is to edify. As Jesus is love and we seek to live out love with one another, then our lives should build up each other. So if you're taking notes, that's the first thing that I want you to focus on is love does edify, and love does build up. I love the way that John Corson puts this in his commentary. He says, saints, be students of the word. Grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Become solid in theology, but as you do, make sure that love has the priority. Make sure your love for God is preeminent. Make sure that your love for God is preeminent. Sometimes in just knowing knowledge, we can become like a porcupine. We have all the right points, but we're not very approachable. Do you have a lot of knowledge right now on issues that are taking place in our country and in our world, but you hold those positions with such pride and arrogance that no one's able to approach you? There's no love that's there. Are you one that dispenses truth very quickly and you can quote chapter and verse, but you don't have love for that person that you're talking to? Jesus came in the fullness of grace. He came in the fullness of truth. He didn't compromise truth, but he also did not compromise grace. So as we seek to love God, as we seek to have knowledge, as we're learning more about Him, sometimes we need to be challenged and ask this question, does my knowledge of God, is it resulting in more love? Love for Him and and love for others? Or am I just impressed that I have the knowledge? Do I think I've arrived because I know where that truth is located in my Bible or I can possibly quote this verse or tell you the outline of the book of Romans. I think this really applies to us as we look out to sort out issues that we're faced with today. For believers, sometimes I hear them looking down on other believers because they go, oh, they're wearing a mask because of COVID. And look, I'm not wearing a mask because I trust the Lord. And I've heard conversation of division simply over this issue of wearing a mask or or not wearing a mask. And I believe that love is going to answer that question. What is it to love this person? And there'll be times that you may be convicted to not wear a mask, but you choose to wear a mask out of love for someone else, love for your neighbor. You're loving God and you're loving your neighbor And they are comforted by the fact that you have a mask on. Some of you that have this strong conviction to wear a mask, you may have grace and love to extend to someone else who chooses not to be able to wear a mask. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Micah 6, verse 8. And I hope you have your Bible as you're studying along with me. Because this is directive for us in so many current day issues To see God's love begin to edify. To see us begin to be that expression of God's love, the hands and feet of Jesus. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you. So this is good in God's sight. This is what God requires of us. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God is a God of justice, and I hope you know that and you hear that. And throughout the Bible, we see God being a voice for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the fatherless, for the person that's marginalized and taken advantage of. And as we seek to edify and love, not just to have knowledge, then the church, the body of Christ, should be a voice for justice. When we see things that have taken place here currently, here recently, where there has been gross injustice, we should be a voice to stand up and say, no, there needs to be justice. Because that reflects the heart of God. Love does demand justice. But then what's amazing is this verse continues, love also... Is expressed in mercy, to do justly, but to love mercy. This word mercy is also translated kindness and steadfast love. The idea of mercy is to not give somebody the judgment that they deserve, when maybe they deserve judgment that then you would give kindness that you would give steadfast love. Church, how in the world do these two go together? How in the world could there be justice, but there also be kindness? Justice and kindness, justice and mercy flow from the cross. God's justice is poured out upon Jesus. He's punished for our sins. The wrong that I did, Jesus takes the punishment. For God to be just, he had to pay that price upon the cross. But also this tremendous mercy. God pours out upon sinners. He pours out upon my life. He pours out upon your life. He pours out upon the thief that's crucified next to him that asks for forgiveness. God is both just, but he's also merciful. He's filled with kindness. As we approach one another... We need to approach the body of Christ right now with kindness and mercy. Be a voice for justice and also be an expression of mercy and grace. My wife showed me a a video this week where you have two impalas fighting. And as they're so busy fighting with one another, here comes a lion and eats the impala who is caught off guard because it's so focused on the fight didn't realize that he was prey to the lion. And if we're not careful as believers, we have to understand we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We could be fighting with each other and Satan's laughing and he's having a field day. Here you are arguing over masks. Here you are arguing over different views on the coronavirus. Here you are fighting over different current events that are taking place. And the enemy comes in, and so we want to have that kindness for each other, but also to have that kindness and that mercy towards unbelievers. I want us to zoom out for a second and see people the way that God sees people. God sees people that are sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked at the multitude, the 5,000, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He told the disciples, I want to feed these guys. He was moved with compassion towards them. And we need to see people in that lens, in that light, that God loves them, that he loves them enough that he sent his son for them and choose to interact in a merciful way. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus gives us a challenge on mercy. I'd like to read it to you. It says this, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. As the Father has been merciful to us, then we're to be merciful with one another. Check this out, it says, judge not And you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Do you want mercy in your life? Do you need kindness in your life? Then give that to others. God's been merciful to you, and as we give mercy to others, then it's going to be showered into our lives as well. Church, we need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Jesus is love, and as we put our eyes not on current circumstances, but upon Jesus and worship him, and then begin to love one another, love the body of Christ, Love believers. Love edifies. Love builds up. Is my life building other people up, or are they simply getting knowledge crammed down their throat? Love is what's going to give them an appetite for God's truth. You know me. If you haven't heard me teach much before, you know I love truth. You know I'm committed to the truth of of God's word. And as we're committed to the truth of God's word, we express that in love. We don't want simply knowledge to puff up. We want knowledge to bring us into a deeper encounter of love. Verse 2, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. Can I get an amen? Can you just shout an amen in your family room night right now? Have you ever been so convinced of something in your heart and in your mind then you go down further in life and you go, I had that all wrong. I didn't know as I thought. I didn't have that all figured out. Just say this right now with me. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. And that leads us to the third part of Micah 6.8. To do justly, to love mercy, and then to walk humbly. We need to walk humbly, Jesus was committed to justice, overturned the tables in the temple. He was the expression of mercy and kindness. But also Jesus had tremendous humility. Here he was, God, all-powerful, all-knowing, humbled himself to wash disciples' feet, humbled himself to the obedience of the cross. In humility we choose to serve. In humility we express truth, and the truth of Scripture that's declared to us in verse two is we don't know as much as we think we know. I started off min- in ministry when I was 21 years old as a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for about five years and then started lead pastoring. I remember some of the counsel that I gave as a youth pastor, where I was a young dad had never had teens. I would go back and I would change that counsel radically. But yet, as a young man, I thought that I had some things figured out, but I didn't have them figured out. As we journey with the Lord, we come to understand there's only one that's got it all figured out, and that's the Lord. But if anyone loves God, this is known by him. This one is known by him. This is an advantage of love. This is an advantage of loving God. If we're loving God then we're going to be known by Him. We know that He loves us, and we respond to the love that He's initiated with us. You're never going to regret loving the Lord. You're never going to regret serving the Lord. I think of this similar to family, inside of marriage and relationship with kids. As husband and wife love each other, they're known by each other. My wife and I, this September, will be celebrating our 19th wedding anniversary We're already starting to dream and plan about our 20th wedding anniversary. And I know my wife and she knows me. It's so fun to walk through life together. Our kids, as they're growing up, I know them and they know me. Church, as you love God, you're known by God. He's your father and he's loving on you. So as you walk in love and you love the Lord and you edify others, the result of that is a deeper relationship with the Lord we get more into this issue of meat offered to idols. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. In the Greek culture, in the Roman culture, there was just so many idols. So many, many idols. And they would offer up their meat to idols and then that meat would be sold in the market as a discounted price. It's used meat, if you would. Meat right now is so expensive, isn't it? It can be difficult to find at times. If you were a believer in the church of Corinth, it'd be very easy to go, man, here I am in the grocery store, and this meat that's been offered to idols, it's half the price. I'm going to get some filet mignon. I'm going to get some ground beef. I'm going to get some salmon that was offered to an idol. So Paul begins to explain this and say, you know, the idol is really nothing. There's no power in that that idol when that meat was offered unto to idols. And we need to be reminded of that. Idols that we worship are just the creation of people's hands. If you worship a vehicle or you worship a, a house, it, it's created by man. And these idols are created by people, and there's no actual power behind those idols. Verse 5, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as as, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things. And we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. So love covers, but also love fulfills. Love fulfills. Paul says, hypothetically, if these gods really do exist, which they don't, but if they do, they're nothing compared to the one true God. Then Paul goes on to explain our God. He's one but yet three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he describes the Father and he says, the Father of whom are all things. The Father possesses all things. He owns everything. Everything belongs to him. And it says, and we are for him. So as we know the love of God and we love God in return, we find fulfillment. We are looking for fulfillment. We're longing for fulfillment and purpose and desperately grasping for fulfillment and fulfillment is found in a loving relationship with God. Shout it out. Yeah. Because the father loves us and we get to love him and he possesses all things. And as we serve him, we find our purpose. If you're looking for purpose going, man, is marriage my purpose? Is a job my purpose? Is education my purpose? Is, is my purpose-making change in, in the world? All those things are great things, but will leave you empty if you have not found your fulfillment in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've drifted from that place of drinking from the fountain of living water. The nation of Israel did. We've all done it at different times in our lives. It says that they rejected the Lord, this true source of living water, and then they went and dug cisterns that could produce no, no water. It's only the Lord that fulfills In serving Him, in abiding in His love, we find fulfillment. And then Jesus Christ is described. He's one Lord. And through whom are all things. Jesus created all things, and through Him we live. So Paul's saying idols are nothing. Idols, they didn't create us. They don't sustain us. They don't produce life. But God does. And we find our fulfillment in God's love. I hope you understand this theme from me in the next few weeks. We'll be talking about it more as we get into 1 Corinthians 13, is to really, 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 really have your roots go deep into the love of God. We're bought with a price, and that expresses the love of God. Are you fully convinced that you are loved by God? Have you found your fulfillment in knowing that you are loved by God? It's such a great place to be, such a great place to be. You can enjoy your work not seeking work to provide fulfillment. You can enjoy your family not seeking for family to provide fulfillment. You can enjoy every blessing knowing that your fulfillment is in the Lord. In verse 7, love serves. So love edifies, love fulfills, but love serves. However, there is not in every one that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So there's some believers that haven't yet understood, hey there's no power in this idol. God is the only one true God. So when they eat meat offered to idols all of a sudden their conscience it's pricked. And they can't enjoy that meat that's offered to idols. So what are we to do for that person? And the rest of the text explains, But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we worse. I hope you understand this. Food does not commend you to God or put you in right relationship with God. So the believer that eats meat that's offered to idols... They're no less than the believer that decides to not eat meat offered to idols. We're not commended unto God based on the food that we eat. But here's the lesson for us. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to to idols. We're to make sure that we're not stumbling a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Is our freedom more important to us than causing a believer to stumble? We should be willing to set aside our freedom to be able to build up that fellow believer. So biblically, there is freedom to eat meat offered to idols. But if it's going to cause another believer to stumble, then be quick to lay down that liberty that God has given to us. What are some examples of this today? Because meat being offered to idols is not something that we wrestle with. One of the examples is the issue of alcohol. As the Bible teaches, from what I understand, there is liberty for believers to drink alcohol under two conditions, that they don't get drunk and that they don't cause another believer to stumble. So you may be convinced, hey, I have freedom to be able to drink and I don't get drunk and that's not an issue. But one of the things that you need to evaluate is your liberty is it causing another believer to to stumble. My dad tells me a story of when I was young. My mom and dad were having a home built, and the guy that was building the house was a fellow believer, but also really struggled with alcohol. And at that time, my dad was under the conviction they had freedom to drink alcohol, and occasionally he would bring home a few beers from work and share it with the guy that was building the house. But little did my dad know that then once the guy would have one beer, alcohol was a problem for him, and then he would go home and stop off at the bar first and, and get drunk. And my dad realized that he was causing this guy to stumble, and that always stuck with my dad and really changed his, his views. And those are the things that we've got to sort out. And church, I think this is really applicable right now in this area of the COVID virus is some of you could be like such in a place where like I'm going to make a stand with not wearing a mask or I'm going to make a stand with with wearing a mask that before you know it, we're judging other believers in an area that we don't need to be judging them, but instead we should be serving them. It's such a weird time in approaching each other, isn't it? Like are we doing the elbow thing? Are we doing the fist bump thing? Or Are you a hugger? So we're, we're going to go ahead and hug. But we need to go through that for the purpose of serving that individual. No, they're not at a place of handshakes. No, they're not at a place of, of hugs. So I'm going to keep my, my distance. You know, I, I'm going to seek to serve them and edify them and build them up. So in, in all issues, we want to be in this place where we're really serving each other. And we're loving each other and we're not allowing our liberties to be used against one another, but we're more concerned with the mutual edification of believers. In verse 11, and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So here I am in my liberty and my knowledge, but the weak brother is dying spiritually and we're reminded Jesus died for them. Be reminded Jesus has died for believers. Guys, each church has to sort out how they're handling worship in this current context. And we need to trust the Lord and how God is leading particular pastors and elders and churches to sort out these issues. We should never be judging another church because how they're handling the things that are being passed down to us. And so, it's a place of saying, look, I am going to seek to serve them and be reminded why I'm serving them because Christ died for them. Verse 12, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound the weak in conscience, you sin against Christ. So if I cause my liberty, use my liberty to cause another believer to to stumble, who have I sinned against? I've sinned against Christ. We need to be reminded of this. This is humbling and this is sobering. Is when we sin against a brother or sister in Christ, we're sinning against God. We're sinning against Christ. Verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I should make my brother stumble. That's a big statement because I love meat. Meat is so good. Carne asada tacos, come on. So, so good. But Paul's saying, hey, The stake, I'm willing to lay this stake down. If me offered idols is offending my brother, I'm willing to lay it down. Love becomes the anthem for Paul, and love becomes the anthem for us. Jesus is love. Jesus is love. Jesus did justly. He overturned the tables in his righteous anger because people were taking advantage of. Here they were coming to worship but they were being taken advantage of. Jesus is mercy. Jesus is kindness, he's steadfast love. The nails of the cross were placed in his hands and his feet. It cost Jesus everything to express kindness, grace, mercy, unearned, undeserved favor. Be reminded of that mercy and that kindness that God has shown to us and he is showing to us And when you see people, do you see them as sheep without a shepherd? Do you realize their greatest need is Jesus? Their greatest need is the love of God. The Bible tells us it's the love of God that leads us to repentance. As we display kindness and we display grace and we display mercy, that is going to point people to the cross of Jesus. As we are an expression of justice just as Jesus was an expression of justice. That's a display of God's love. Jesus is humility. He is the absolute expression of humility. He came to serve and not be served. Church, I want us to boil this down and really seek to apply this in our lives this weekend is Jesus's love. And in this expression of love, we're to do justly. We're to love mercy and we're to walk humbly. Let's press into the Lord. Let's press into his love and let's press into this commitment to really love in tangible ways. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we thank you that you love us and that you are love. And in Jesus' name, by your grace and your mercy, may we come to a greater understanding of your love. May we be fully convinced of your love for us. And God, help us to see one another differently. Help us to have patience to serve one another during this time, to serve believers. Lord, I'm sure we all have differing views on COVID, differing views on current events. Lord, but may we choose to to love and to, to serve. And God, you see the injustices in our land and in our culture. And Lord, would you help us as a church to do justly. And Lord, also, would you help us to walk in humility. May we come to understand that we don't understand things fully. Be so arrogant for us to think that. But you do. But you do. We want to walk humbly with you. Lord, I thank you for Rocky Mountain Calvary. Thank you for everyone worshiping and listening. And God, would you pour out your love afresh into their lives and help us to be the expression of your love, your hands and feet. We pray over our city, God. We pray that there would be peace. We pray that there would be a softening of hearts and a turning to you and that your love would be magnified who you are, that you are justice, that you are mercy, that you uh, approached people in humility. You were the friend of sinners. So God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.